All right. Hey, everybody, let me welcome you again to worship today. I'm so glad y'all. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on now. We got three campuses full of wild Christian lovers of Jesus, and I'm thankful for that. Man, if you're on one of our campuses or you're in an overflow right now, uh, we've had to activate overflow uh, almost every uh, week we've worshiped so far. This is our third week of regathering. And friends, I'm telling you, I've been praying and fasting, and I know many of you have, that God would just give us a robust regathering of Compassion Christians. And while God has answered our prayers, we've had over 50% of our church family physically on campus for the last two weeks, which is like twice the national average. Anybody want to say thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer? That's an answer to prayer, man, I'm telling you. And can I just thank you for having such a great attitude about wearing your mask out of consideration for other folks and being careful to physically distance and all of that. You know, it's in our nature, I should say our new nature as followers of Jesus to put other people first. And let me tell you, I'm seeing it on every campus and I just want to thank you for that. Now, if you're watching on the online, uh, Compassion Online today because you have got a health issue or, you know, some kind of health concern, we totally understand that. But man, we hope you will stay connected with us, you know, through uh, the Compassion Christian Online, serve with us online. Uh, man, I got this great uh, opportunity to see an image of my buddy Carl. Now, this is Carl and his family. They're all greeters here at the Henderson campus, and that's Carl's dad, uh, who is watching us at Memorial Hospital right now because he's in there with an illness issue. Man, but Carl is taking communion over to him on the weekend. Uh, Mr. Charles is watching our services on a laptop, and man, we're looking forward to seeing him back. And y'all pray for Mr. Charles when the Lord brings him to mind, all right? Now, we're looking forward to him getting back here because let me tell you, there are so many parts of our walk with the Lord that just don't work optimally in isolation. And so if you're watching today, we're looking forward to welcoming you back home soon as well. And friends, can I just say thank you for praying and giving so faithfully? Man, our church has stayed strong and able to help through this pandemic because you've been so generous and you've been so prayerful. Now, our giving on the year so far is about 10% below uh, budget. Uh, and let me tell you, that's a huge challenge for us to overcome. Uh, but I've been praying with pastor friends from all over the country. And let me tell you, it could be a lot worse. And your character and your commitment to Jesus is why it is not a lot worse. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to tithe and give to missions. Man, doing it online, doing it through the mail, however you give. Man, I'm telling you, you know, in the worst of times, you're doing the best of things. And it's making a huge difference. And I also want to say thank you for everybody who's jumping in, reconnecting, and getting in the growth track so they can serve with us on a serve team. Man, we got lots of opportunities to serve on all of our campuses, but y'all look at this. Look at how many students we had at growth track last weekend. Now, is that a sight for sore eyes or what, right? Dude, that is awesome. Now, we have totally changed our, our student ministry schedule so that our students can serve with us on Sundays which we have found is one of the best ways to prepare them to walk with the Lord in a way that they will take that walk with them to college or the military or whatever. Uh, matter of fact, I heard last Monday night, we have digital growth track. We had our first student from Kenya. And so, man, if you're with us today, welcome aboard, man. You're going to love serving with us, right? Now, I want us to just say a pastoral word before we get uh, into our message tonight. You know, back in the spring, we did a series of messages on the separation of church and hate. And it was designed to remind us how followers of Jesus distinguish themselves in a caustic, hateful election cycle like the one we're in right now. And I don't have to tell you that our election is less than 30 days away right now. Now, I don't remember any time in my life when our country was more divided and people were more hateful about it 
which means there has never been a time when it's more important for followers of Jesus to practice civility and humility and unity and charity. And so can I just encourage you to do a couple of things because we are citizens of heaven first and then citizens of America. Can I hear amen? amen. Citizens of heaven first, right? I want to encourage you to vote. I want to encourage you to register and ready yourself to vote. Man, if you read the New Testament, you'll see that the Apostle Paul leveraged his Roman citizenship every time it would help him advance the gospel. And friends, as followers of Jesus in America, voting is a stewardship. And one way we can ensure that the leaders we are called by God to obey are the kind of leaders who are worthy of following is to vote for leaders that we believe will support biblical values. And so, man, I hope you will pray and vote for the candidate that supports the kind of moral values that you think Jesus taught. And I also want to ask you to conduct yourself with the kind of civility and humility and unity and charity that will honor the Lord. Listen, man, your favorite candidate is going to win or lose based on how the vote goes on November the 3rd. But the kingdom of God is going to win or lose for decades to come based on how followers of Jesus conduct themselves at home and work and at the polling place and on Facebook and everywhere else. So let's just take a moment right now and let's pray for our country and let's pray that God will use his church to bring healing and hope to this confused culture. Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you and just pray for our country. We believe our country is special. We've had a special opportunity, Lord, to build churches here, to take the gospel around the world and we're thankful for that. Father, our president and the first lady have COVID-19 today. And Father, we want to lift them up before you. We pray, God, that you would heal them. We pray that you would keep them safe or keep our country safe. We pray, God, that you would bless and work in this election in a way that will bring you glory. And we pray, God, that your sovereign will will be exerted through your church. And Father, regardless of how things go, that we will have our first allegiance to our true king. And this is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay. Hey, last week we launched a new series of messages that we're calling Heaven Bound. And I'm excited about this because we're going to learn as we drill down into what the Bible teaches us about the place that every follower of Jesus is going to spend eternity. And I think you're going to learn some important stuff. You know, William Shakespeare called heaven the undiscovered country. Now, apparently he thought it was a fascinating place that nobody knew enough about. And that is a shame because C.S. Lewis, who is one of the greatest Christian writers of the last hundred years, said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought the most about the next. Man, the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, uh, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world, they have become so ineffective in this world. The principle is you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. You aim at earth, you don't get either one. Now here's the great irony. The more we think about the next world, the more effective we tend to become in changing this world. Consequently, the problem with most followers of Jesus is not that they think about heaven too much, it's we think about it too little. Now, if you review the lives of the men and women, even in the Old Testament, who made the most profound impact, I'm talking about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, you'll find one common denominator. They were all captivated by the hope of life in eternity in heaven. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews said it this way. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. This is not my permanent home. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, well, they would have had the opportunity to return there. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, today I want us to unpack some of the surprising things that our God is preparing for us in heaven. And I'm going to teach you something today that I, I don't think I've ever taught on before, but I can promise you I am not the first person to teach on these things. Now, when somebody says I'm the first one who ever taught on this, that's trouble. Because the rule in Bible study is if it's brand new, it ain't true. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, listen, if it's a biblical principle, then it was taught by the apostles 2,000 years ago, right? And it's been around for a long time. And so what I want to share with you today is some biblical truth about heaven that's been around for a long time that you may not be familiar with. And if not, I hope this will be a nice surprise for you. Now, last week when I finished the first message on heaven, uh, a few folks came forward to talk to me. Uh, one guy came up and said, Cam, I have been through a really hard time. And I realized during the message today, I am not ready to meet the Lord. And so I'm like, dude, you want to talk about that? He said, I sure do. And so, man, I grabbed one of our prayer counselors. And, man, I've been praying all week uh, that that guy led him to faith in Jesus. And just like the folks we saw a minute ago, uh, we're going to see him baptized into, into Christ soon. Next person came up, said, I got a question about heaven. Now, what happens to us between the time that we die and the return of Jesus? I mean, do we go straight to heaven? Uh, do we go to a holding tank somewhere? Uh, do we wait until the return of the Lord? What's the deal? And I want to share with him what I shared with you. And this may come as a surprise to you. But friends, eternity is on the horizon for everybody the moment you die. Now, did you hear about the uh, lady who was teaching a class of little kids at church? And she was talking about heaven. And so she's trying to get them all on board. She said, OK, let's have everybody raise their hand who wants to go to heaven. And everybody in the class raised their hand except for one little boy. And she was a little shocked by that. And so she asked a question again. Okay, seriously now, everybody raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. And the same kid did not raise his hand again. And so she finally said, honey, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? He said, oh, yeah, when I die, sure. I thought you were trying to get up to go right now. <laughs> now, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. But not everybody's ready to go today. You know what I'm saying? Now, friends, there is an interesting tension in the New Testament about eternity. Paul said when he was writing to his friends in Corinth, you know, while we're at home in the body, man, uh, we are absent from the Lord. Here's what I prefer, though, rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, Paul talks about this in, in Philippians as well. Man, I got important work I need to do here. I feel like I'm compelled to do this work here. But if I had my druthers, I would much rather go to heaven right now and be with the Lord. Now, Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is, yes, there's important work to do here, but the moment your earthly body dies, you're going to find yourself standing in the presence of the Lord. And he thought that would be awesome. And just so you're not surprised at what happens when you pass from this world, let me talk with you about what the future holds for every one of us. Now, let's just imagine this line represents your life, all right? It begins back over here when you're born, and literally the Bible teaches that it goes all the way through eternity and it never ends, all right? We talked about this last week. This line represents your never-ending life. 
I mean, from the moment you are conceived, you will never cease to exist. And friends, this is the point when you make a decision about Jesus. And there's two decisions you can make about Jesus, right? Now, let me tell you what kind of gentleman Jesus is. Jesus loves you, and he's coming after you hard. He's going to come after you all the time. He's going to come after you a thousand different ways. I mean, from a beautiful sunset where you look at it over the water and think, man, ain't nowhere in the world. That's an accident. All the way down to some Christian friend having a detailed conversation with you about your need for a Savior and how you can give your life to Christ. But let me tell you what he is never going to do. He is never going to kick the door down on your heart. He could, but he's not going to. You have the freedom. You can decide for him or you can decide against him. Man, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Or they can decide not to open the door. That's your decision. You get to make that choice. Now, if you open that door to a relationship with Jesus, dude, it will be life-changing. But I mean, Jesus said most of the people in the world will not make that decision. They'll choose to say no. So the choice is yours right up until the moment when you die. And you, when you die, you might be 82 years old, like my friend uh, Patty that I got to do her funeral last Friday. Uh, you know, uh, Patsy Wilson, she died at 82 after a great long life. Or you might be like my buddy Danny that I met when I was in church camp in the sixth grade. And he was 12 years old when he climbed up in a pine tree and slipped and fell onto an electrical line and was electrocuted. And thank God he had given his life to Christ at that church camp uh, before he died. Because the moment you die, earth time stops for you. And your eternal destination is set. The minute you die, your eternal destiny is set and cannot be changed. You have run out of time. You have made your decision, even if it was by not making a decision, by default. And then eternity begins for you on the path that you have chosen. Now, if you give your life to Jesus, your next stop is paradise. Now, we talked about this last week. You know, when the thief on the cross turned to Jesus and put his faith in Christ and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, right? He put his faith in Christ. His destination, once he crossed the line of death, was paradise. But there was another thief hanging on the cross right beside Jesus, heard the whole conversation. He did not decide to put his faith in Christ. He chose to mock Christ and belittle Christ and act like it was no big deal. And we assume that when he died, he went to Hades. And Hades is the abode of the dead where people go to be separated from God and separated from all the good that comes from God. It's a horrible place. But he chose to go there when he chose to reject Jesus, just like the guy chose to go to paradise when he chose to put his faith in Jesus. Now, friends, this is a place. Hades is a place. Paradise is a place. It's not a state of mind. It's a physical place. Now, don't miss this, because when you die, your eternal path is set forever. So, friends, I'm telling you, there's an element of urgency about this. And let me just hit pause for a second. And let me just say that how you perceive all this depends on which side of the death line you're on, right? Now, if you're on this side, you're in the space-time continuum of Earth, and time is a factor. Time was created by God for Earth when he created the Earth. And, and listen, if you're on this side of the line, you perceive everything in terms of time. For example, let's say I die tonight, and y'all have a funeral for me, and, uh, and then 10 years later, the Lord comes back, and, and we'll be talking about that. You know, Cam died 10 years before the Lord came back. Can you believe that? That's not how I will see it. I won't see it that way because I'll be out of time 
And for me, everything that happens in eternity will kind of compress. And friends, that will bring us up to the next big event, which is the climactic return of Jesus. Now, man, the Bible says right here, Jesus is going to return. Uh, and man, a, a number of things are going to happen prior to his return, uh, you know, that we will, we will note from our perspective from the earth side of the line. For example, uh, the rapture will take place. First Thessalonians 4 talks about the fact that Jesus will return and pull every Christian out of the world. It will be a dramatic, newsworthy thing. Uh, and, friends, and, and then as soon as the rapture occurs, the, the world will devolve into chaos. Uh, it will be a time of tribulation. I mean, imagine. Imagine what this pandemic would be like for the last seven months if all the love, all the care, all the prayer, all the service, all the food, all the giving that the church has done just wasn't there. Our, our, our world would be in chaos. And, and let me tell you, imagine seven years of that. Now, then the Lord will return and he will bring history as we know it to a close and Jesus will evoke, invoke the final judgment. And friends, at that final judgment, Matthew 25 describes this. It says that Jesus will be like a sheep separating the sheep from the goats. And all the followers of Jesus will be judged in what is called uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 14. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, that every follower of Jesus will be judged by Jesus their life will be analyzed, their generosity, their authenticity, the value of their contribution will be assessed and rewarded, some much more than others. Did he just say that? Yes. Some will be rewarded much more than others because they've been more generous and they've been more authentic and their hearts been more in it. Uh, those who do not know the Lord, uh, let me just tell you, um, Revelation chapter 20 says they will appear before the great white throne judgment. And sadly, these folks have no relationship with God. Consequently, they don't, they don't know Jesus, so they don't have an advocate, you know, who can represent them at the judgment. Uh, they don't have a Savior who can save them because they made that choice way back here. They're too interested in beer or whatever it was. They turned their, turned their head away from the Lord. Now, friends, um, John writes about this in Revelation chapter 20. He said, I saw the Lord. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And those whose names are not found in the book of life, bad. Now, at this point, the Bible talks about an amazing quantum leap that will occur in reality. And this is uh, talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3, when Peter talks about the purging of the earth. He says, at this point, a cleansing fire will sweep over the entire creation and it will not destroy the earth, it will renew it. It will cleanse it. It will cleanse the earth of all sin and corruption and dysfunction, leaving the earth renewed and renovated and a new earth with a new heaven totally on a restored earth. Now, now if you're already in paradise, this will seem like it happened just instantaneously the moment you arrived in paradise because you're not in time the way people are on earth. You got me? I mean, you know, it's like when you go to sleep and time seems to pass either really fast or really slow. You know, it just seems to be at a different pace. That, that's what it'll be. All of this stuff will bam, it'll happen just like that. But if you're still on earth when Jesus returns, man, you will experience what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 4. You'll be caught up with him in the air. You will witness the judgment. You'll witness the end of this world of sin and suffering and disease and death. And you will see the rebirth of a new earth and a new heaven will descend on it. But if you're in Hades... If you're in Hades because you decided 
not to become a follower of Jesus, you, along with everyone who made that same choice, will be assigned to hell, like we talked about last week. And friends, here's the urgency that I talked about a few minutes ago. You're going to make a decision way back here. You're going to make it today, some of you. You're going to make a decision that is going to affect your eternal life. And friends, um, your destiny will be determined forever based on the decision you make about Jesus. Now, I know this is a lot. <laughs> and I know hell is getting a lot of play here. And let me just tell you, that's true. Jesus talked about hell a lot because Jesus believed hell was a location. He did not think it was an attitude or a state of mind. Jesus thought hell was a place. He didn't want anybody that he loved going there. Matter of fact, he died on the cross to make sure nobody had to go there. But of course, that's your decision. That's your decision. You'll have to own that one. Now, I have a good friend uh, that I was talking to last month, and I said, bro, how did you come to know the Lord? And he told me, Cam, he said, I grew up in a home that didn't honor the Lord at all. I mean, I had no church background. Uh, I, I just grew up wild as a buck. And, you know, then I joined the army and I got in financial trouble and my mama got sick and I just felt like life was piling up on me. And somebody invited me to church and I thought, okay, I'll go. And he said, the first time I went to church, I went as an adult and the preacher was preaching on hell. And that dude was cranked up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was hellfire brimstone. He said the temperatures started going up and it was tough, right? And I'm like, ah! he said, I never heard of any of this stuff before. And they just whacked me. I got hit. So they said, why don't you come back next week? Next week, he's preaching on the cross, the sacrifice Jesus made to keep everybody out of hell. Came out the next week, the love of God who would forgive a sinner who has done no matter what, who would keep you from hell because of his son's sacrifice on the cross. And he said, bro, when I heard that third sermon, I got in. <laughs> he said, I'm telling you, man, I made my decision for Christ right there. And he was baptized in Christ. It was awesome. It was just awesome. But you know what he told me? This guy was a soldier. I mean, he was hard as nails. You know what I'm saying? But this truth broke through. And he's like the blind man. I once was blind, but now I see. And he told me, he said, Kim, you know, my life was so stinking hard. Dude, I grew up in poverty. And he said, you know, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. And I didn't get the respect I felt like I needed from the people that were close to me. I, I didn't feel the love in my family that I wanted to feel. He said, my life was hard. He said, I thought my life was hell already. And he said, the thought of going from the hell I'm living now to that for all eternity? No, sir. <laughs> no. He said, I came too. I mean, if there's another way, I'm going that other way. Not me. And that started that conversation on week three that led him to a life-changing relationship with Jesus and eternal life and forgiveness and peace and joy and direction and a purposeful life and a reservation in heaven forever. And that's what some of y'all ought to do. That's what somebody here needs to do today. Today. Because you know what? You're going to make this choice. You've got a chance today. You don't know if you'll ever have another chance. So I would encourage you to make the wise choice. And if you make a wise choice, here's another thing you'll learn about heaven. Heaven is going to be on earth eventually. Now, you know, I don't know if you realize this or not, uh, and I don't have a lot of time to spend here because I don't have much time left, but I want to challenge your thinking about heaven, especially if you've based your views of heaven on movies or ghost stories rather than the scripture. 
Man, do you remember that passage I read for you from Hebrews chapter 11? I quoted it earlier, and it talked about, you know, these people felt like they were aliens and strangers on earth. You know, I don't really fit here. This doesn't feel like home to me. All right, next verse. It said that, you know, they were looking for a country of their own, something that seemed to be consistent with who we are as people who love God and serve God. Next verse. It says we're looking for a better country, a heavenly country. We're looking for that place where God is preparing a city for us. Look at the terminology that he uses to talk about heaven. It's a country. It's a country. You know what a country looks like? We're not talking about some you know, ethereal spirit space station out in the ether somewhere. Dude, you know what a country looks like? He said they're looking forward to a better country, a heavenly country. The country they're looking for was heaven. And they said in heaven there's a city. And I got a place there. It was prepared for me by my father. And, you know, Jesus said that. In John 14, you remember the night before Jesus was killed, he was talking with his guys right before he was crucified. And Jesus said, in my father's house, cloud, blimping faith. No. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. You know what a house looks like, right? You know what a room is? Man, heaven was a place where we'd be living on a new earth in a physical space. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you with me so that where I am, there you may be also. Dude, heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. It's a location. It's a place that Jesus was coming back from so that he can take us with him to that place. Now, remember, Jesus is talking about a place that you only get to go to after you die. Okay, so these guys are all over here where we live in the space time continuum. And Jesus is talking about an eternal place called heaven. And they might have been a little bit confused about it. You might be saying, Cam, that stick stuff looks crazy to me. I'm a little confused, too. Well, let me tell you what will happen. The second you die, you will be crystal clear on this. You will be crystal clear for good or bad. The second you die, you'll be clear. Which brings me to the best surprise about heaven I want to talk about today. And that is that in heaven, you will have a robust, resurrected, physical body in heaven, just like Jesus. Can I hear amen? amen. Some of y'all sound like, mm, you're going to have to show me. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. You remember in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate some of the things that he felt like made Jesus unique. He talked about Jesus' unique identity. He's God. He's not a great teacher. He's God. His unique experience, man. Jesus was there when the world was created. His unique power. Jesus actually did the creative work that caused our cosmos to exist. His, his unique authority over all things. And then Paul says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So if you in the church, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Jesus. Boy, y'all been out of church too long. Y'all been watching online. <laughs> The answer is Jesus. Who's the boss? Jesus is the boss, right? You know why? Because he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Everybody say firstborn. Firstborn, firstborn from the dead so that in everything he may have supremacy. Now look at that last line. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Now the Greek word is translated firstborn means not just the first one, but, the, but of first importance. Now, the truth is Jesus was the first person who was ever raised from the dead, never to die again. But he was also the most important person who was ever resurrected from the dead because his resurrection atoned for the sins of the world. Now, don't miss this. 
The Greek word that is translated firstborn is the word prototokos. I would ask you to say it with me, but I'm not sure I can say it twice. So I'm just going to not <laughs> prototokos. All right. Now, now listen to that and try to try to think what English word is derived from prototokos. Prototokos. Prototype. Prototype. That's where we get the English word prototype from. And friends, I hope this is a pleasant surprise for you to know that the body Jesus had after he rose from the dead is a prototype for you and a prototype for me. I mean, look at what Jesus, look at what the New Testament says about Jesus's resurrection body. And you will get a glimpse of what your body will be like in heaven, what our loved one's bodies are already like in heaven. Like Jesus, your resurrected body will be physical. Think about what the New Testament tells us that Jesus did in the body after the resurrection. Number one, he could speak. The first person he spoke to was Mary at the garden tomb. He called her name. She didn't recognize him until he said her name and then she knew exactly who he was because he was visible. His body was also visible. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a shade or a shadow. Mary saw him. Eleven disciples saw him. Paul saw him years later. 500 witnesses saw him at one time, according to 1 Corinthians 15. He could build fires and cook breakfast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Which he did for his disciples in Galilee. And I'm assuming he ate with them as well. He broke bread with the men on the road to Emmaus. That's how they recognized him as the Lord Jesus, is when he physically broke the bread for communion with those two guys over dinner after their walk down Emmaus. He made Thomas touch the nail prints in his hand and the spear wound in his side when, when Thomas was doubting whether Jesus had actually physically risen from the dead or not. And friends, just like Jesus, our resurrected physical body will be spiritually enhanced. Enhanced. You know, Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 15, our earthly bodies will age and decay. Our heavenly body will eternally endure. Our earthly bodies will be infected by sin. Our heavenly body will be free of sin. Our earthly body will weaken. Our heavenly body will be powerful. Our earthly bodies are for the old earth. Our heavenly body is for the new earth. It's an enhanced body. And you'll receive it the moment you die. Now again, if Jesus' resurrected body is our prototype, think about what that means. We will eat in heaven. Somebody say praise the Lord, right? I mean, think about it. Your first appointment after the final judgment is an invitation from Jesus to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be amazing. Now, friends, you remember Jesus' first miracle? What was it? Okay, I got $10,000, so anybody who can tell me what his first miracle was? In Ugaritic. Go tell me in Ugaritic. Just kidding. Somebody, my luck, there'd be somebody here from, you know, Israel that could do it. He turned the water into wine. You remember what they said when they tasted the water that Jesus turned into wine? The guy said, this is the best wine we have ever tasted. Now, friends, can you imagine what the food will be like in heaven at the marriage feast of the Lamb when Jesus is throwing the dinner party? We will also wear clothes in heaven. Lots of references to clothing in the book of Revelation. No, we will not be filming naked and unafraid in heaven. That's not going to be happening, okay? You'll be wearing clothes in heaven. You will retain your sexual identity in heaven. If you were created female, that was God's idea. If you're male, that's God's idea. And you will always be male. You will always be female. Jesus said in Luke 24, 39, he told Thomas, look, it is I myself. Who you think is going to appear in heaven in, in your body? Somebody else? No, it's going to be you. Same, same 
identity that you had on earth. Your physical resurrected body will be perfect. It'll be perfect in heaven. John said in Revelation 21 that in heaven, the old order of things has passed away. Cancer, spinal paralysis, arthritis, disabilities, no more, gone. I want to show you a picture of two of the, my courageous friends and faithful servants of Jesus here at Compassion Christian Church. This is my buddy, Joseph Weatherby. Now, Joseph died a couple years ago uh, after living his life in that cool chair uh, because of a birth issue. Now, Joseph could barely communicate on earth. He could not move on his own. He had a darling mama who just loved him and took care of him his whole life. But Joseph was a follower of Jesus. I cannot wait to see him, hear him, embrace him, walk, talk, and work with that brother in heaven. Can't wait. Can't wait. This is my buddy Dustin Meeks. Now, Dustin was able to get around pretty well until the last few years of his life, but Dustin served here like a maniac because he was a maniac. That is a troublemaker right there. You know what I'm saying? Everybody who knew Dustin said amen. Come on. He liked to tease people all the time. He teased me all the time. I'm like, don't you know I'm a pastor? That's a sin. He didn't care. He didn't care. This man had more personality. I'm telling you what, he was a master at meeting neighbors, making friends, serving as a greeter at the door of the worship center right there. I walked by him, shook hands with him every week. Uh, he participated in student ministry when my sons were in high school. He worked at the lighthouse taking care of the poor. Um, and he worked with our Mana food services trying to make this place a friendly, warm, hospitable place for new folks. And Dustin lived in pain pretty much every day of his life. But he had an amazing attitude. And he was an amazing contributor to our ministry. And I cannot wait to see what the physically enhanced, perfect Dustin looks like in heaven. This is my friend J.J. Garcia. J.J. is a professional warrior. He was a career soldier, had a heart problem, went in for surgery. When he woke up, he found out the blood clots had destroyed his legs and he had to have both legs amputated. I have never met anybody with a stronger, more joyful spirit than J.J. Garcia. Now, J.J. went with us on a trip to the Holy Land. He walked everywhere, walked up every step, a flight of stairs. Amazing attitude. Never heard him complain about a thing. In fact, we were on a boat going from Greece to Rome, you know, to, to see Rome, and they had a dance on there, and, and I got in there where J.J. JJ could dance better on these prosthetic legs than I can on the ones the Lord gave me. <laughs> I can't wait to see that brother restored, perfected, enhanced in heaven. I got a friend sits right over there almost every week. Served our country in World War II, got one leg blown off. I can't wait to see what he looks like, totally restored in heaven. I have friends who struggle with clinical depression and bipolar disorders, and I cannot wait to see their robust, resurrected bodies and minds in heaven. And friend, your body will be beautiful in heaven. Your body will be beautiful. I'm not talking about you know, looking like a bodybuilder or a model necessarily. I'm not sure that always looks good even here. But that inner beauty that God created in your physical body because you were created in his image, that beauty of the handiwork of God that will be unrestrained by insecurity and unmarred by stress and discouragement and worry and weakness and addiction and sin or any of that stuff. I believe God made every person physically beautiful in their own way because they were created in his image. And when you show up in heaven, that unmarred beauty will be obvious for all to see. And you'll keep your name in heaven. Now, the Bible says God will probably give us a new name as well. But, you know, Jesus called people in heaven by their names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
He called them by name, their earthly name. You know, I was in Nashville a couple years ago and I was visiting with Dave Ramsey's organization and I walked into this room and Dave Ramsey yelled across the room, Cam, man, it's about to have you here. And I'm like, I can't believe he even remembered my name. Can you imagine it be like to show up in heaven and Jesus go, Mary, Mary, welcome home. Jack, welcome home, bro. Herm, glad to have you here, man. Well, Jesus, calling you by name. In heaven, you will physically have everything you have now and more except for your sin nature. No sin nature. Your sinful flesh will die when you leave this world for the next. Think about what that means. No more fights among loved ones. No resentment, no grudges, no guilt, no shame, no envy, no jealousy, no one-upmanship, no rivalries, no bitter words, no misunderstandings, no defensiveness. Somebody asked me last week, well, Kim, what if you've been divorced a couple times before you got saved and then your exes got saved and y'all all there together? That's going to be awkward. How's that going to work? <laughs> and my answer was simple. You'll just do exactly what Jesus is trying to teach you to do here. Express forgiveness and reconcile in love. Can I hear an amen? amen? Listen, you won't be driven by guilt in heaven. Ain't no guilt there. There's no shame there. Love will motivate everything. Like love motivated Jesus after the resurrection to reconcile with Thomas and forgive him for doubting and never bring it up again. Like love motivated Jesus to reconcile with Peter and forgive him for denying him three times and never bring it up again. And that is the life and the place that Jesus is preparing for you. And friends, all of that joy and healing and restoration starts with a decision that you can make today. And man, I hope you will. Now, before we go, uh, those of you who are online, I want to give you two, two discussion questions to ask the person sitting beside you as soon as this service is over. Here's number one. And, and those of us who are here in one of our rooms or in overflow, uh, ask this question on the way home in a car. What's one thing you're looking forward to being different in heaven? What's one thing that you're looking forward to being different in heaven? And what's one thing you hope will be the same? I'll tell you what I hope. I hope Sarah Huxford has to stick with me throughout all eternity. <laughs> I hope she does. She's been the perfect partner for me in this life. And I hope that will see the same in heaven. You know, Moses prayed in Psalm 90, teach us, Lord, to number our days so that we'll have a heart of wisdom and make a good decision while you can. Thank you, Father, for this time you've given us to be together today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for that blessed hope that keeps us pure when we're being tempted, that keeps us strong when we're being attacked, that keeps us faithful, Lord, when others would fluctuate, that keeps our eyes on glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that there will be those who will grab it today. In Jesus' strong name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.